Hello there, I'm Miranda Gretton and this is Take a Moment with NCHC, the show where we talk to you and your colleagues about experiences that affect you. Listen on your drive between patients or in your downtime, whenever you get the chance to take a moment. In this episode, we talk about the process of recruitment into the trust and whether it's a fair process for those living with disabilities or long-term health conditions. Hi, I'm Mercy and I am the EDI advisor. Hello, my name's Rachel Millett. I'm Deputy HR Business Partner and I work across our support service and project structures. Hi there, I'm Damien King. I'm HR Quality Assurance and Compliance Manager. Hello, I'm Pippa Bennett. I'm the Talent for Care Coordinator, looking in part uh, after our apprentices as well. Thank you so much for joining me today on the podcast, everybody. Um, So we've come together today to talk about recruitment and the provisions that we make as a trust to support disabilities. We want to talk really about going beyond reasonable adjustments. Am I right in thinking that we only have one way to apply for a job within the trust? No, that's not right. (laughs) I'm happy to be proved wrong. That's fine. (laughs) So uh, in in the main and majority of cases, people will apply for a job with the trust using the track recruitment workflow system, which is navigated to via NHS jobs. So very fundamentally, it's all very electronic based. However, the the trust can also offer where needed a paper based application if that's more preferred. And we ourselves as a trust would then upload those into the recruitment workflow system. And the reason that's quite important that we do upload it electronically is that managers, when they have their pool of candidates at the shortlisting stage, will then consider all candidates in the same pool equally and not be identifying perhaps 10 candidates electronically versus one on paper um, and make sure everybody is assessed on an equal basis. Okay, so that's good. There are options. But Hmm. when I'm replying on track, what adjustments are there on track? Like, can it do recite me? Is there like a way I can make the font larger? Is that particularly accessible? Yes, so the the track system itself does support varying methods and supporting mechanisms. One of the things that track does allow to do is voice assist. So this is um, voice to text uh, support within the application process. The track system and font can indeed be enlarged where required. And what um, Civica, which is the, the, the company that provides the track system, is where we have a candidate who might approach us to say, hi, I, I've got a support need. We can indeed contact Civica and, and, and kind of present that support need and ask and how they can help us within the system for a person to apply. So what what the company and we wouldn't like to be the case is we have a very rigid system and we can accept these kind of exceptions or work in this specific different way is we'll work with the candidate and the recruiting manager alongside um, the software company to 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 help facilitate whatever the requirement is for the any person's specific needs and i guess that's the point isn't it because the requirements will be different for everybody so we won't know until someone approaches us to for a job and if we're not covering it i guess what you're saying there is that we would look at adjustments that could be made if they're not already yeah Yeah. absolutely so if I'm in the recruitment process can I contact the trust to ask questions to make sure I'd be supported like for example coming in for an interview there might be a requirement there yeah absolutely and I I think you kind of sort of semi-covered the 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 point in what you just said Miranda so for us as a trust what we don't do is we we don't forward identify what support we think we need to have in place for people we absolutely have a core of fundamental support we offer but we're always open for people to approach us and set out a specific set of needs so 
you're quite right and you mentioned uh, coming to interview so they're, they're very sim simplistic adjustments we might need to make for somebody uh, such as having an interview on a ground floor of a building so for example thinking wheelchair access or a mobility issue the, the pandemic was a really good example whereby everything all of a sudden changed overnight we were all having to work remotely so as we talk now we're talking all from our respective offices and own homes but actually some people have technology support issues at home they don't have the ability to access online interviews so even during the pandemic what we were having to consider was because of the nhs environment we worked we were allowed to put in perhaps an exception that allowed somebody to come in for a face-to-face -face interview obviously covid um covid rules are being applied of course so it's a case of what we will do is we we will help anybody that approaches us asking for an additional additional need we as a trust advertise the fact that we're a disability confident leader but what does that actually mean for somebody who is applying for a job with us as someone who is external and looking to um, have a role here we know that this is going to be somewhere that I can apply. This is somewhere that understands that I may have support needs. I need support in my role in the interview before you even think about applying for the role the minute you see that badge. So you you may find the role on whichever, whichever job search engine you use, um, and you might want to do a little bit of research about the organization. The minute you see that badge, if you have um, a long-term health condition or a disability, you can be confident in knowing that we're an organization that will be able to support our staff. And it wouldn't be an issue to say at the very first port of call, I have a disability and I will need support. Please, can you support me through these? And those steps can be put in place. And does that happen? I mean, do people declare at the beginning that they have long-term health conditions or even any kind of health condition? Do people declare it or is that something that we find people don't necessarily come forward with? In terms of a disability, I think what, what's always really important to, to consider that while somebody may sit with a, with a, with a disability themselves, they absolutely don't have to declare they have a disability. People live their, their daily lives with a disability and actually that's something they have, they manage themselves and actually require no additional support. So for, for us as a trust, what's not important is whether somebody has a disability or not. What's important for us is making sure that people have a fair crack at the whip in terms of applying for the job. So actually, if somebody needs support and approaches us to say they need support, we'll look to see if we can offer some some support at a reasonable level that allows them to compete uh, against other candidates in that pool. So we certainly do record information within our ESR, our HR payroll system that identifies those staff that do have a disability. However, we're not forcing staff to declare or disclose that they do indeed have that. What's important is we do offer the support to candidates as well as current members of staff where they need that extra support, whether that's through a formal disability or just through their own health and well-being or, or normal manager one-to-ones and alike. Is there any other support that we consider during recruitment? One of the one of the things we do is we will uh, use the access to work program uh, that's provided by Job Centre Plus to to support candidates. Now, I think it's important to mention that when I refer to candidates through recruitment, it's also wider trust staff as well. So, the access to work scheme is a, a scheme whereby the Job Centre Plus look to keep people in work or put people into work using a set of reasonable adjustments or additional support 
that can be offered to UK employers that will enable us to employ somebody. So this can be um, through specialist equipment. It could be through sign language interpreters. It could be the provision of travel. And what Job Centre Plus do is it, it will offer grants and monies to UK employers that allow us to purchase those things and they contribute to that. So what it does is it looks to sway UK employers to to take people with additional support needs and um, put those people into employment. Damien, you mentioned when when we're recruiting that if somebody was to fill out a paper copy of the application, that that would not be an obvious sign to an employer that we had made that adjustment for that person because the applications would all come to the recruiting person in the same way. So what else do we do to ensure that we are recruiting fairly? So one of the one of the key things for for us to do as part of our recruitment process is make sure that managers are making their selection of who they deem to be a suitable candidate or candidates is based on someone's ability to do the role through their own qualifications, experience, etc. So as part of when managers do that shortlisting process, and when I say shortlisting, what I mean by that is people have applied for a role, a set role, and the manager then goes through the applications to decide who they wish to then take to the interview. So at that shortlisting stage, um, an application from an individual is a number. So they're just given a, a reference number and their application is identified by that reference number. Um, within that, there is no personal information passed across to the recruiting manager. It sits in the background of the recruitment system, but that's not accessible to the manager. So what it does, it allows the removal of any undue concern of a potential unconscious bias. So I appreciate we're talking about disability on this podcast, but there are certain things in people's personal information that allows you to potentially identify someone's nationality and background, example, through their name. It will allow, by not having personal information, it, it, you, you are not able to see if the person is male, female, and by proxy, there's absolutely no disability information associated with the shortlisting process. So when we talked about the paper application versus electronic application, if a paper application is submitted, the paper application goes on to the track system. Um, one of my HR team would do that input. So when the manager receives the shortlisting information, they will just see, example, 10 applications. They won't see any differentiation by the method in which somebody initially applied for, for the role. Clearly, candidates can put what they wish to in their supporting information. And if candidate is quite open in their supporting information, starts to talk about their own perhaps disabilities, etc., a manager would see that but that's through a person's conscious choice to include something about their background, their history, or their, what they define as their employment information. What we've really heard about there is loads and loads of process-orientated ways that we can support individuals. And I think what you can hear is that hopefully we are a supportive employer. I think from my perspective, um, something that's also really important to touch on at the recruitment stage is some of the concerns that we hear about from individuals once they've joined the trust. We hear that we are a supportive employer. We hear that actually the, the experience that they're having with us is different to that of perhaps other organisations. So we can only work with what people share with us. And that's why it's so important they tell us at the outset if they've got any challenges. Um, 
we can help overcome those anxieties once they're through the door. We can do it in the recruitment process um, via all the things you've just heard. But I think what's really important is to treat people as individuals as well and to be respectful and to understand their health and their context because they know it best. We really need them to share with us what they need to be able to make the experience and, and, and it should be a positive experience, one that they they won't shy away from. So even if perhaps they're not successful in their first attempt at securing a role with us, they will take away the message that it wasn't because something about their health defined their success versus perhaps their performance. And I think it's so important that people share with us what they can, whether uh, it's at recruitment or once they're in the door via occupational health, because all of those things can really help to shape the early days of employment with us. And you know, the value that we can give to new entrants by ensuring they have a really positive onboarding experience, i.e. joining experience, is, is just fundamental, really, to the success that they have in, uh, over those first few weeks and months. One of the things that I'm aware that we do as part of our Talent for Care team is really to ensure that we are promoting the trust in a number of different ways. What we're very conscious of is that not everyone has access to technology, um, not everyone has the transport links as well, especially in a rural Norfolk area. So one of the things that our team will do is go out to a number of different schools, colleges, jobs fairs, all sorts of places in order to reach a wider number of people. As part of that conversation, what we will be doing is allaying any fears that people might have about applying to our organisation and to the trust. And that has come in the forms of transport concerns just because of anxieties. Um, it can come in the form of a number of different areas, even that we're in a clinical setting and some people have concerns about being in a clinical setting as well. So part of the work that our team will do is to allay some of those fears and really promote the well-being information and support and help that we have within the trust so that they're aware that once they are in the door that there will be that ongoing level of support as well to them. I mean we can only do so much to project outwardly the kind of supportive trust that we know we are and it sounds like you've really thought about that not only promoting the jobs that are available but also promoting our values and how we can support people's varying needs. At what point do we start asking about a potential new employee's disability or health status? That is after the manager has made their decision on who they wish to recruit. So only at the point of the person being under a conditional offer of employment. So when I say conditional offer, that means the person has been offered a role, but they are subject to satisfying the pre-employment check standards. Only at that point do we then ask about a person's health status. So, and that's through our occupational health assessment. So it's important that we understand that both a person is going to be safe in doing their work for our patients and service users, as well as ensuring we understand their health status for protection of themselves. So we have a full occupational health assessment that's undertaken for our clinical staffing and even for our corporate services staffing. One of the questions we ask is, in undertaking the role, is there any reasonable adjustments that we need to make to support you in undertaking your new role? So at that point, it then instigates the conversation between the recruiting manager and the candidate 
around potentially adjustments that we need to make. But the point I'm just trying to make there, the manager has already made the decision on who they wish to recruit. Only at that point is there then a potential conversation around any health issues or support or none at all, as the case may be. That's really fair, isn't it? You've got the you've basically got the job. Um, so now you can feel you know protected, I suppose, to declare anything if you wanted to. And yeah. even at that point, you don't have to. Still, Absolutely. And it removes the potential for any unconscious bias because manager already already made their selection. Tell me about the sort of training that we have for equality and diversity in the trust. So every member of trust staff is required to undertake equality and diversity training, and that's part of what we term as our static mandatory training. So that's information that um, ensures staff are open minded and have an ability to to assess that they are they and their colleagues are delivering our services and our practices and behaviour equally. So that's um, all of our mandatory mandatory training information is reported as part of our KPI reporting. So managers are able to see those that have or have not undertaken any aspect of mandatory training. So if I then think slightly wider in terms of training that we offer to ensure equality, as part of our management essentials program, we also deliver recruitment and selection training. One of the important aspects of that training is a section on unconscious bias. So this is making sure that managers when during recruitment are, are acting appropriate fairly and making sure that candidates are assessed equally through the principles of unconscious bias as well. Let's talk about once you are recruited in. So you've, you've got the job and you're coming in to start work and we offer mandatory training which is tailored to your particular area of the business. Would you guys say that that is a fair process, the mandatory training? Um, is it fair to all staff? Is it fair to people with disabilities? You know, is it, how do we make it a, a fair process to, to go through that mandatory training? So the mandatory training process has a number of different factors to it. So we have a trust induction, which is um, across the board, um, that has been held in person with the COVID um, situation as it is, that's now being held online. And we are open to being able to look at some of the flexibility of that going on as well, uh, in terms of whether some people might have some access issues. The online training itself is on our ESR system, which has a number of different factors to it. So there is the ability to have it read out loud, screen size can be increased. And part of the team that looks after the whole mandatory training program are very keen to do is to understand individual needs of people that might have some difficulties accessing their online training and be able to offer things like quiet rooms, for example, for those people that really appreciate that ability to really focus. We're able to offer locations that might be different to where they're currently working. So a number of different options and it is again, as I think we said before, that ability for someone to say to us, I have a particular need and we would really be open to understanding what it is that they're looking for in order for us to then be able to say, OK, let's see how we can meet that need. The point is that you, we will work with the people who can, we will look at what the situation is and we will try to do something about it. If If we were an employer that said, you know, oh, we're not even going to have these conversations. We're not open to having these conversations. We're not going to open doors for you. We're not going to support you. That's the difference. We are saying that we might not have all the answers, but we are an employer who will do our best to work with you as an individual for the needs that you need to be met and we'll work it out. 
I think that's a really important message to anybody looking to join our trust and also anybody in here already to, to know that that's what we do. Thank you for listening to Take a Moment with NCHC. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please visit the podcast intranet page to leave a comment and for details of our other episodes. You can also follow NCHC on all social media channels.